You're listening to the Global Vision Bible Church podcast, where broken people find new meaning to life. You're about to hear a message straight from God's Word, because at Global Vision, we believe in three things. Biblical preaching, radical compassion, and extravagant generosity. Hey, at the end of this episode, I'd like to ask you to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we believe God's Word still challenges perspectives, encourages hearts, and changes lives. Now let's head under the tent in Mount Juliet, Tennessee for this week's message from Pastor Greg Locke. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to the book of Acts in chapter 8, if you turn there for just a little while. Acts chapter number 8. Good thing I'm using a cordless mic. I'd get electrocuted here this morning under the tent. And I can tell when it's raining good out there because it starts raining good up here. But I, I'm adaptable. We move around a lot. And so as long as it don't get the pages of my Bible wet, we'll be all right. Amen. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for praying, for giving. Thank you for fellowship. And I know in a little while we'll have a good number of baptismal celebrations. And we call them celebrations for a reason because we're celebrating what God's doing in people's lives. And so I know sometimes people are trying to get out of the parking lot because it's all sandwiched in and pieced and puzzled together. Of course, we've bought all the land around us now. And so in the coming weeks and months, much of that will be parking. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I I highly... I highly encourage you to stick around and watch what the Lord does during the worship at the end, during the baptisms. It's a beautiful thing. And then I know many of you do know about the, the first meet and greet. We do that by design because sometimes afterwards it takes such a long time. But my wife and I stay as long as we need to. And uh, we're not just these in and out type celebrity individuals. No, no. We'll shake every single hand of every single person that comes through there. We'll hug your neck. We'll love you, pray for you, pray with you, and just try to be a blessing to you because we wouldn't have a platform if you didn't watch the videos and follow along with what the Lord is doing. So thank you so much for being here. And I truly, every week, I'm just honored and humbled to be the pastor of a church that, interestingly enough, for a lot of people, it may be a hassle. But you know why we have so much media come through here, both good and bad? Not because of what Greg's doing because what God's doing. And so we'll, we'll take the good with the bad. And so really it's, a, it's an honor every single week to have so many different types of people represented in the house under the tent because I know that God's going to get his glory. And I'm praying today that he'll, he'll set some of you free from some bondage that you walked in with. And I believe when the people of God gather around the word of God and the spirit of God comes upon us. I'm telling you, I believe he's about to do something in this room, and I feel that heavy in my spirit. And so Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Let's pray, and we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you so much again for the Lord Jesus. We come together and gather in this place because of you and all you've done. So Father, I pray that you would empty me of Greg Locke, and you would fill me to overflowing with the wisdom, the unction, the discernment, the power, the passion of the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we look into the Word of God, because this is a Bible church, we're going to look in the Bible. As we look into the Word of God, I pray that you would change us, you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us. But most of all, you will make us less of who we are by nature and make us more conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask all these things. And the church said... In the book of Acts in chapter 8, if I can just give you quickly the spin of the narrative of what is taking place, there's a man by the name of Philip that was preaching the word of God in a number of towns. He was an itinerant. 
He was going from place to place and house to house and church to church and synagogue to synagogue, convincing people that Jesus indeed was not dead, but that Jesus was alive. And by the way, the gospel message is still the power of God unto salvation. Romans chapter one and verse 16. Jesus was buried and he rose again on the third day. If he only died, then we're of all men most miserable, but we do not serve a dead Jew in a Palestinian tomb. This morning we serve a risen Savior. That's not just around March. That's not just around Easter. That's not just around April. That is the fact that every single day we represent the fact that our King is alive. Do you believe that? Say amen. So Philip was going from town to town telling people about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ according to the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. And so in this context, we see that he's been in a revival meeting when several things have been transpiring. More converts have been saved. More baptismal celebrations have taken place. The offerings were big. The healings were abundant. People literally had devils and demons coming out of them, and then the unthinkable happens in the context. In the midst of one of the best revivals recorded for us in the whole Bible, much less even in the book of Acts, in the whole Bible, revival was transpiring. Multitudes of people were everywhere and God's spirit came to this preacher, this man of the hour, this man for the minute, this fiery prophet of God and the spirit of God said, I want you to leave all of that. Leave the crowds. Leave all the people standing in line to be saved and healed and baptized and delivered and set free. Leave all of that because there is one man in the desert that I want you to go and talk to. Now, by way of introduction, let me say this before we get to verse number 26 and following, and that's where we'll be in the text today. Bible preaching ought to come out of the Bible, so I'm going to use the Word of God. But i got to say this. Christianity separates itself on a number of levels, especially the one I'm about to tell you, separates itself on many levels from other groups and cults and sects and religions of the world. Because here's what religion does. Religion focuses on masses of people. But Christianity always puts the focus on the individual. Because Jesus knows that you will never reach the multitudes and the masses unless you do it one individual at a time. We want to reach multitudes, but we do that because every person is significant when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is going to tell this man to leave multitudes of people in a revival meeting to go talk to one black man in a chariot in the desert. Because one person matters to Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says, if you would, Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, watch please the next phrase, which is desert. Now, I don't want to apply this too much because we understand what the strict interpretation is, but you have to understand, sometimes God will call you from something that is fruitful. Sometimes God will call you out of something that is flourishing, and he's going to call you to the desert. Have you been to the desert lately? Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something that does not seem reasonable, but at the end of the day, know this and know this well. Obeying Jesus Christ will not cost you something. It will, in fact, cost you everything. Everybody wants comfort. 
Everybody wants air conditioning. Everybody wants a dry platform to preach on, right? Everybody wants things smooth. They want their bills paid six months in advance. They don't want to get cancer. They don't want anybody to walk out of their relationship. They always want everybody to give them a thumbs up on Facebook and social media. But if you read the Bible, here's what you'll find out. If you serve Jesus Christ, it may not turn out so hot for you. Everybody wants comfort. The problem with American Christianity is it's far too American and not enough Christian. And we've got this sit back at ease in Zion mentality. By the way, that's why 95% of churches in America were able to close and be okay with it. Because we've reached a peak level, DEFCON level, lukewarm Christianity in the United States of America. Nobody wants conviction. Nobody wants to be changed. Nobody wants to be challenged. Everybody wants to be comfortable. I'm glad God showed us that you don't need buildings made with man's hands. All you need is a tent and the power of the Spirit of God and people will show up by the hundreds from all over the world. So sometimes God will call you to the desert. Sometimes God will take you from a job that is flourishing and put you in a situation where you feel like you're starving to death. Because God wants to remind you, stop trusting in your boss, stop trusting in your spouse, stop trusting in the government, stop trusting in your pastor, and start trusting in the God of the Bible. And so he takes this man from a flourishing revival meeting. He sticks him literally in the desert. We've all been there. We could preach on that for a long time. Verse 27. And he arose and went. Now let me tell you why that phrase in the Bible is so demonstratively important. It doesn't say, and he scratched his head in bewilderment and looked up at God and said, wait a minute, God, I'm in a great revival meeting. He did not fuss. He did not cuss. He did not back talk. He did not become smart mouth. He said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I will do it. And I must remind you that delayed obedience is nothing but disobedience. And you ought to obey the first time, not the 15th time. My granddaddy used to say, I'm going to tell you this once, and you shall obey. And I knew he was serious, because if he ever told me twice, I wished he would have only told me once. Say amen right there. You know what I'm talking about? We grew up old school. Wasn't no time out. The only time out you took was to sit down, let your butt cool off a little bit after granddaddy got done with you. You can tell the difference in the butt-whooping generation and the time out generation, can't you? You can tell a big difference. That's another message for another Netflix documentary, but nonetheless... It says, and he arose. He didn't argue. He didn't even have to pray about it. I hear people all the time say, well, you know, I feel like the Lord's speaking in my heart, so I got to pray about it. That's an oxymoron. If God told you to do it, you ain't got to pray about it. You ain't got to pray about doing what you know is right. You don't have to pray about things of righteousness and godliness. If the Holy Spirit said do it, why would you ask God to tell you the same thing he just told you? That's just a vain repetition. That's just a way for us to get out of it. That's a way for us to kind of wiggle ourselves into a corner and say, well, maybe that's not what God meant. If God told you something plainly, stop praying about it and get up and do it. And so he arose, the Bible says, and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So this was a political dignitary with a lot of money. He had a lot going for him. He was under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who had the charge of all of her treasure. So this guy was the treasurer. He was the financier. He was the banker for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So this chick had a lot of money. So this guy had been given a whole lot of authority in this context. And so here he is, and watch what the Bible said. And he had come to Jerusalem, this is interesting, for to worship. You know why that's so powerfully important? Don't miss that. 
He didn't come to Jerusalem just for a celebration and a festival. He didn't come to Jerusalem simply to do financial responsibilities and obligations under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He didn't come there for a family reunion. The Bible says that he came to Jerusalem to worship. You know why that's interesting? This is a lost man. This is a man that did not understand the Bible. We'll see that in context. This is a man that did not understand who the Lord Jesus was. He had never heard a real clear gospel presentation. He's about to. He's about to be born again. He's about to be baptized. He's about to be filled with the power of God. But at this point in the context, he's still lost. And that's important for this reason. Everybody worships something. The world is looking for something to give itself value, worth, appreciation. And this man came to Jerusalem because he knew that there had to be more to life. I remember years ago when we first got in that little wedding chapel of a building down there. I can't even tell you the last time I've been in that building because we outgrew it on Sundays and on Wednesdays. But thank God it served its purpose and now it's just used as the, the kids' room, praise God. Thank God it's a good problem to have in a church when you don't even go back to the old auditorium because you outgrew it. But I remember when we first got it, it was all set up, discombobulated and weird. Set about 50 people tight as a tick. I remember one Monday morning, I was milling around in the auditorium, and I was going through praying over every chair, all 50 of them. Lord, bring this person. Lord, save this person. Lord. And I was just going through praying. And a guy came walking in. He said, Pastor, I've been coming to the church for a while. He said, I, I need to talk to you, and I got to talk to you right now. I can't wait. I like them kind. I said, all right, come on in. We sat down at this little desk I had, and I had my little old high-tech redneck office all set up in my 50-seat auditorium. Woo, as a mega church pastor. <laughs> Big old hot scalding tears welled up in his eyes and began to trickle down his face. And first words out of his mouth was this. He says, there has got to be more to life than what I'm living. I said, oh, yes, you're in the right place, sir. You're in the right place. You see, everybody's looking for something. Everybody's seeking something. But here's what the Bible says in Luke 19 and verse 10. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Light obeyed increases more light. If you're seeking this morning, if you're looking, you're in the right house. You're in the right place. You're under the right spout. You know why? Because as you're seeking, you better know God's seeking you. God's been looking for you. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You did not bebop into this tent in a rainstorm on accident. God drew you to this place. Because he knows you have a heart to want to worship. But some of you worship what you know not. And here's a lost man that was ignorant of the Bible, but he was there for a spiritual experience. And everybody's looking for something that's bigger than them. And I declare unto you the word of the Lord, Jesus is exactly what you're looking for this morning. I said Jesus is what you're looking for. And this man was there to worship. And notice what was happening in verse 28. He was returning and he was sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. That's interesting. Here's a lost man going to Jerusalem to worship, reading a Bible and doesn't even understand the Bible. Now, it's not like he had a Lifeway King James Version sitting right there in his lap, family Bible, leather bound, Schofield, footnotes. Oh, no. Didn't have maps and a concordance. He had a scroll in his lap. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. We'll find that in a moment. He was reading Isaiah chapter 53, which is the best, the greatest, and the most prolific understanding of the gospel in the entire Old Testament. It's a powerful passage. 
And he's reading the book of Isaiah and he's reading chapter 53 and God's stirring his heart and watch what happens simultaneously. At the same time this man is seeking, at the same moment that this man is looking, his heart is burdened, there's gotta be more. Watch this, verse 29. Then, say then. Then and only then. Then in that moment. In that very second, in that very lickety split of a moment, while this man is reading, while this man is seeking, God was preparing his heart by preparing the heart of one of his servants. You should always, I emphasize, always obey the voice of the Spirit the first time. There's a reason he's talking to you. There's a reason God leads you to that person in a restaurant. There's a reason God puts someone on your heart that he doesn't normally put on your heart and you wake up in the middle of night to pray for them. You see, here's what we've been conditioned to do. We wake up at three o'clock in the morning and we complain about it. Oh my goodness, I can't sleep. Maybe God woke you up for a reason. You ever thought about that? Maybe God wants to spend time with you at three o'clock in the morning because at three o'clock in the afternoon, you're too busy to pay attention to the Bible. You're too busy to pray. You're too busy to fast. You're too busy to get in his presence. And God said, well, I'll just wake you up, kiddo, because I want to spend time with my youngins. Because God likes spending time with his youngins. And so at the very moment that this man in a chariot is reading the Bible, then the spirit said unto Philip, now, I know I keep stopping, but words in the Bible are so important. And around here, we get accused. Well, you people don't preach the Bible. We preach the Bible word by word, line by line, book by book, chapter by chapter, because there is nothing that you can improve upon the methodology of the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, church. It's the word of God. We live by that and we die by that. There was a time this nation believed that. And furthermore, there was a time the churches of this nation believed that. The real problem is not that we've taken the Bible out of public schools. The real problem is we've taken the Bible out of the pulpits. That's the real problem. We've taken the Bible out of our homes. It's become the centerpiece to our living rooms, but not the centerpiece to our lifestyle and our livelihood. And I go around the world, at least I used to, in every country I go to, people beg me for Bibles. I come back to America. We got 25 of them sitting around the house and won't we run of them. Never even read and crack a page of the Word of God. And we wonder why we're powerless. We wonder why we're weak. We wonder why we're anemic. I'm here to tell you, words in the Bible mean something. And so we keep stopping because we must express what God is trying to say. He says, then the Spirit said to him. We've been reading through the book of Acts in our men's Monday morning 6 a.m. Bible study over at Courtney's, which, by the way, come rain or shine, be there in the morning, 6 o'clock. We're going to be there and have a great time. It's beautiful. Church pays for breakfast. It's all good in the hood. But we've been reading through the book of Acts. We'll finish up tomorrow. And a couple of weeks ago, we read through this passage, and I've, I've seen this passage. I've memorized some of this passage. I've preached. I've taught through this passage. But I began to see things that I never paid attention to before, and so I want to bring it to your attention. It's vitally important to get what he just said. It says that the Spirit said to him. Do you know there's 791,328 words in the Bible? That's 1,189 chapters, 31,101 verses. I don't know how many letters, but there's a lot, okay? That's a lot of Bible. Did you know, get this, nine times out of ten, when God speaks to somebody, here's what it says, and the Lord said, and God said, thus saith the Lord, Jesus said unto them. Did you know there's only a handful of times, three of them are in this book, Acts. There's only a handful of times in the whole Bible when the Bible says, and the Spirit said. 
when the Spirit of God specifically speaks into the hearts of his people and the Spirit said. And so in this context, what we're learning today as a church and as individuals is to discern and obey the voice of the Spirit. You see, God don't want to have to yell at you. That's why the Bible says that he comes to you not in fire, not in a flood, not in the wind, not in an earthquake, but in a still, small voice. And it is the most discernible, recognizable voice in the universe if you'll open your heart and listen. Because God is speaking to his children. He is doing far more speaking than we are submitting and obeying. And it says, and the Spirit said unto him, Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran. He didn't fuss. He didn't try to figure it out. He didn't put it on paper. And Philip ran thither to him. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, I love this, understandest what thou readest. Now, it's great. Here it is again. Here's the context. Here's the words. The Bible said that he ran to meet him. This guy's in a chariot, right? Clippity, 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 clippity. He got the Amish thing going on, all bling for the king, got rubies and diamonds and gold all over it. The man is rich by proximity to Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. The guy has a lot of money. He doesn't want for cash flow. He's got everything he needs except what he wants. He wants peace. He can pay his bills, but what good does that do? Because the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, you can have everything in the world. You could be a billionaire with a capital B, and without Jesus, you are bankrupt. You could sit on a diamond, dangle both legs, and have nothing to show for it. And this man who needs nothing is in need of a biblical encounter with Jesus. And the Bible says that Philip ran thither to meet him. I love that. Here's why. I'm just a, a practical, down-to-earth, simplistic, southern hillbilly when it comes to the Bible. I just happen to believe what the Bible says. It says he ran thither to meet him. Did you know that they didn't have Nike pants in them days? You know, they didn't have gym shorts in those days. This cat hikes up his little bit of whatever kind of robe he's wearing over there in the Middle East, right? He sees a chariot out in the distance. And this distinguished evangelist of the Lord... This man with a pastoral responsibility through all of that education plumb out the window, hiked up his robe and said, I'll be there in a minute, I'll be there in a minute. And this guy is running through the desert with his sandals on to meet a dude in a chariot that he's never laid eyes on. That's obedience right there. So he runs up beside him. He's all out of breath. He said, hey, what you reading? And he tells him what he's reading. He says, do you understand it? He said, how can I? Except some man guide me. And he stops. And he lets Philip come up in the chariot. Watch this. The story blows my mind. Verse 31. He said, how can I? How in the world can I understand what I'm reading except some man should guide me? By the way, you are here in this tent today not to hear from Greg Locke. You are here today to hear from the Spirit of God so you can learn to guide other people to hear the Spirit of God. Each one reach one. I know people that have a head full of knowledge and no power. They're book smart and God dumb. They know all kind of stuff about the Bible, but they're dry as cracker juice at the end of the day. And I say what we need are some combustible people that are on fire and passionate for the things of God. And this man runs up beside. He said, look, what do you, or what are you reading? I'm reading this. I don't understand it. Will you guide me? He stopped. He said, yeah, I'll guide you. 
And I love how he guided him. Watch what the Bible says. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Here's the direct quotation right out of Isaiah 53. This is what the guy was reading. It wasn't a coincidence. This was divine providence of God. Here's what he was reading. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And so he reads this powerful set of verses from this scroll copy in a chariot of God's word in the desert to a man from Ethiopia that he never naturally laid his eyes on. And as he began to read it, the heart of this man was totally engrossed in the context. And he said, is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? Is he predicting and prophesying the Messiah that is to come and save us all? Who's he talking about? And interest began to grow in this man's heart. And I want to dial things back and stop for a moment and say something. Some of you are here today just because you're interested in something that you don't understand. And that is wonderfully okay. Some of you are here today seeking. You're looking. Years ago, pastors made a grave mistake of judgment and they sent out these, these huge mailers, if you will, and said, look, what, what do people in your community want in a church? And they called them seeker-sensitive churches. By the way, they became so sensitive, they all became sissies and the pastors closed all their churches down, but that's a whole other message at another time. They asked the lost people, lost people, what do you want to see in church? So when you ask a lost person what you want to see in church, don't be surprised when the church morphs into looking like a bunch of lost people, right? Well, we just want five-minute messages. We want smoke machines, and we want lights, and we want high-tech redneck. Look, I, I like screens. I like lights. I like all of it. But the beautiful thing about this place is if they one day do burn our tent down like they keep threatening, guess what? In a rainstorm, we'll sit out on top of the cars, and we'll still worship Jesus Christ next Sunday. We ain't stopping for nobody. We ain't giving up for nobody. It ain't about a building. It's about the body. It's about the gathering. The gathering is what the power is, the gathering. And so they said, we want to find out what the world wants. And so this guy's a seeker. He's looking. I, I want to know truth. And really, that's what people are seeking. They don't want more pizzazz. They're, they're not looking for extra. People don't come here because they think we're going to have all of the, the, the beautiful temple arrayed with man's hands. They're coming to a tent for Pete's sake, and they know it. In a packed out parking lot with mad neighbors. <laughs> and documentary film crews here all the time. They didn't show up because we compromised. Some of you are seeking the truth because you can tell we believe in it so much that we'll live for it and we will die for it if need be. To God be the glory, great things he has done. That's why you're here. And he was seeking something. He was looking for truth and it was given to him there in Isaiah 53. And so notice what happens. In verse number 34, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speakest thou the prophet this? 
of himself or of some other man. Who's he talking about? Philip, can you help me? Can you guide me? And I love what happens next. This is the most beautiful verse in the whole text. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Which, by the way, that's not hard. It doesn't say, well, then Philip had to get out and go get his concordance and go get his maps and go get his Greek and go get his Hebrew and go figure it all out and get his PhD off the wall so he could defend his education. Nope, it said he opened his mouth. The Bible says if you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit will fill it. People say all the time, how do you just get up there and preach without notes? Just open your mouth and God will give you what you need to say. I read myself full, I pray myself full, and the Holy Ghost lets me preach myself empty. That's just the way you do it. And so this guy didn't have to get out and say, well, let me go you know, convince you that I'm from cemetery. I mean seminary. He said, no. He opened his mouth. He began at the same scripture. He didn't have to dance around. Same scripture and preached unto him. What's the next word, church? Jesus. That's a pretty good message no matter where you go. He only had one message. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the sweetest name I know. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also had highly, highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give Jesus some praise in his house this morning, church. Give Jesus some praise in his house. It's the name of Jesus whereby we are saved. There's no other name given among men, Acts 4.12, whereby we must be saved. You don't get saved because you're a Baptist. You don't get saved because you're a Pentecostal. You don't get saved because you're a Catholic. You don't get saved because you're a Methodist or an Episcopalian. You get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, what we should be bothered by is how many people that call themselves pastors and Christians that will not be honest enough to tell you that Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of God. They say, well, that's just so bigoted. That, that's just so narrow-minded. Hey, Jesus said narrow is the way that leads unto life and few there be that find it. Jesus was the most narrow-minded preacher on the planet. When it comes to the gospel, I'm not bending. Jesus is not one of many ways to the kingdom. He is the one and only way to the kingdom. And if you trust anybody but Jesus to get you to heaven, you ain't going. Somebody say amen. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. When it comes to Jesus, I'm so narrow-minded a gnat could land on the bridge of my nose and kick both eyeballs out at the same time. That's narrow-minded right there. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the message that the world needs. You see, I... I get a lot of criticism. Our church gets a lot of criticism. They say, well, what y'all do? Y'all just, just worship Trump. Let me tell you something. If you think I'm sitting around twiddle-dee, twiddle-dum, waiting for Trump to save America, you got the wrong one. I'm lifting up my eyes, my redemption draws. Now, I'm looking for Jesus to save America, ladies and gentlemen. I ain't looking for the Republican Party to save it. I'm not looking for the Democrats to save it. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, they're two heads of the same snake. My loyalty is not to them. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. That's where my loyalty is. 
That's where my loyalty is. And he preached Jesus unto him. There's no better message. There's no better text. C.H. Spurgeon used to tell all of his preacher boys, find a verse in the Bible and just run to Jesus because he's in all of them. He's in all of them. Verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, man, he hadn't even been saved long. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, you know what's interesting? This guy didn't go through a six-week or a seven-month discipleship course. He just met Jesus in a chariot. Had his whole life together, so he thought he just got saved. Reading Isaiah 53, cried out to God, and they pass a watering hole in the desert. You've been in the desert. Most of y'all know I rode my bicycle some years ago in uh, 2014. I rode my bicycle from this church to Los Angeles, California. Not a motorcycle, a bicycle. In 10 days. 310 miles a day. Whoo! You talk about buns of steel. I had some by the time I got there. I'm telling you, that's rough. I rode a bike through the desert. And there wasn't no watering holes in it. There wasn't no ponds. There might have been a few mirages but they're in the desert, says that twice. And they come up on some water, and this guy's like, well, I'll be. There's a watering hole. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Which I do find interesting because there had to be a watering hole for them to get out and to get in. That's why we believe that baptism is by way of immersion. Some of you grew up in a church that dry cleans you. That ain't what the Bible says. Baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's a picture of, Romans chapter 6 says. And so he said, hey, there's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I love the answer that Philip gave him. He said, verse 37, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's all you need right there. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, look, here's some water. What do I need to do to get baptized? Philip said, that's simple. You believe on Jesus? Yep. All right, son, let's go. Is that simple? Yesterday, we were flying home from Fort Lauderdale. And we had the glorious privilege. And this doesn't happen a lot, especially with the way travel's been jacked up these days. We had the glorious privilege to sit in the seats and wait for almost every single person to get off the plane at the request of the stewardess named Brittany. And she spun around in the chair in front of us. Big old watermelon tears welled up in her eyes and began to stream down her face. And I'm telling you, she was ripe for the picking of the gospel. She was so ready she had some stuff in her past, didn't even say what it was that was sketchy, and she didn't think God would save her. Look, God specializes in sketchy folk. He specializes in broken, crazy, sinful, rebellious people. The Bible's full of it. And she bowed her head right there on that airplane. Prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we got to the end, we said, in Jesus' name, amen. And when we said that, the, the other guy that was working with her, he'd done slipped in. He's like, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> we had some Holy Ghost revival show up on the airlines. 
on American Airlines, which is the most non-American airlines out there. And God showed up and showed out. People are hungry and we got one message. Jesus is the message that the world needs. And he said, now that I've got it, what do I do? He said, you believe? Yes, I believe. So I want to follow him in baptism. So watch what happens. Verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Some of you are here today for that very reason, to follow the Lord. Baptism doesn't save you. It shows people that you have been saved. The water doesn't wash away your sin. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all evil, the Bible says. The water is symbolic of the fact that you have died, you've been buried, and you are being raised to new life by the power of the gospel. And the Bible says that he baptized him. Now, I love what happens next. This is crazy. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit, say Spirit, Spirit. of the Lord, caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. That's when they come up out of the water. Whoop. They come up out of the water, and the Bible says that the Spirit called Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Now look, I ain't trying to be spooky. I'm trying to be scriptural. These cats go down in the water together, and he dips him. And the Bible says when he comes up out of the water, two things happen. The eunuch is rejoicing, and Philip is, pew, beam me up, Scotty, gone. And the Bible says that he's found preaching the gospel at Azotos. That was 27 miles away. So I don't know how in the world that happened. I know somebody reads that and says, well, you're foolish to believe that. Oh, no, knucklehead, you're foolish not to. This is what the Bible says. This ain't a Marvel comic book. This is the Bible. So he dips him down in the water. He brings him back up, and the Bible says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing, and Philip was found 27 miles away immediately preaching the gospel. You couldn't stop this soldier of the Lord. But here's what's interesting. When we read through this quickly a couple of weeks ago in men's Bible study, one of the gentlemen asked a very interesting and yet historical question. He said, do, do we have any idea what happened to him when he got home? Yes, we do. Not in the Bible, but in church history. This Ethiopian eunuch went back to his area. And he became, history tells us, such a raving, roaring evangelist, such a lion for the gospel. That revival began to sweep that world. And for the first time in recorded history, that nation in that area, Africa, that continent got the gospel in such full-blown truth that people were converted, people were challenged, people were changed, people were baptized, churches were started. And to this day, the world has never been the same because of one man in a chariot that got born again and baptized in a watering hole in the middle of the desert. That is the work of God. That is the work of God. But I just want to say as we bring it to a close, and again today, I, I just wanted to stick with the text and share some things that have been on my heart. But the thing that grabs me, the, the thing that nabs my attention is when it says, and the Spirit said to Philip, some of you today have been struggling for a long time with obedience to something that God's clearly paved a way for you to do. Or maybe he's called you to pave the way yourself for others to follow. 
Some of you have so much ministry in you, you don't even recognize it because of fear. Some of you could literally turn your community upside down. Some of you could turn your school board upside down. Some of you have been called from God. You have a political anointing upon you and you ought to run for some office and turn this nation back to the glory of God. Some of you have preach in you. Some of you are prayer warriors and God's trying to draw it out of you. Some of you have an anointing to understand directing and acting, filming. I mean, while we're at it, we might as well just take over everything if we're going to take the nation back for the glory of God. Amen. We ought to get back to the foundation of letting the media at least tell the truth every now and again. Some of you have been called to bless the people in your community. Some of you have been called just to go next door and knock on your neighbor's door and love them in the name of Jesus. You ever sometimes sit in a restaurant and you get that tug to walk across and pay for somebody's meal? That's never the devil doing that. The devil will never encourage you to do something that's going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. You just remember that. You're like, well, you know, that's just my flesh. That's just the devil. When has your flesh or the devil ever asked you to bless somebody? Never. And sometimes you feel that urge, man, I ought to pray for that person. So here's what happens. You walk away and guess what? Bing, 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 bing. It's like a seatbelt alarm. It's the Holy Spirit bugging you to death saying, hey, not head, you should have prayed for them then. You ever felt that way? You're like, oh man, I missed it. We've all missed those opportunities. We've all missed them. Sometimes what we think God is doing in our life is extraordinarily random, but it's not random at all. It's the prearranged plan of God to speak to our heart because here's what's happening when God's speaking to your heart. He's simultaneously speaking to somebody else's. When he's telling you in Cracker Barrel or Waffle House, walk over and just say a word of encouragement to that person. And if you don't do it, then he'll find somebody who will. And one of the most miserable ways to live is in total stark contrast and disobedience to the will of God when you know the Spirit is speaking. And you refuse to obey. I could give you a thousand examples. I could give you 10,000 illustrations, both biblically and historically in my own life, of when I knew God spoke to me about something that was out of the blue and it wasn't arranged in my mind, it just happened. And every time I obeyed, a blessing came forth for someone else. But every time I disobeyed, I've always regretted it. There's never been a time I've disobeyed the still small voice of the Spirit when I slept well that night. My lunch didn't even taste good because I knew they walked out the door before I could get to them and God already told me to talk to them. God already told me to look them in the face and say, I'm praying for you. Sometimes the Bible says it's just a spoken word in due season that lifts somebody's heavy load. And how many of you know there's a lot of people these days carrying some heavy loads? And sometimes, like we did this, this past Wednesday night, I could tell during the singing that my brother Mike Mathis was just broke. So you know what we did during Wednesday night service when I got up? I said, look, we love to shake hands. We love to get around and fellowship with each other. I said, but tonight, right now, in the name of God, just hug five people you never even looked at before. You know what's crazy? 
I got more feedback online from people that weren't even here to hug folks. I guess they were like, you know, hugging their couch and stuff when it happened. I don't even know. Like hugging their dog, hugging their cat, hugging their spouse they ain't even talked to in the last six months. Right? And they're like, wow, you didn't do that more often in church. And it was just a quick impromptu deal. I just knew because one man was broken, it would affect the whole congregation if we just loved on each other a little bit. And that released something in the room that night. So I don't know when God's going to tell me here often or here lately. It's been very often that he has me just walk up and start talking to people. And he just kind of gives me a word in my spirit, which is not spooky. It's very biblical. So I don't know what's going to happen in today's restaurant. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or tonight or when I go to Walmart or when I'm in some other store at the gas station. I don't know how random it's going to seem. But listen, what I'm trying to condition myself to do is what I'm teaching you. Obey the voice of the Spirit the first time. Don't make him have to tell you again. And some of you today have a level of obedience that you're going to have to walk in. God's been speaking. It's time to surrender. Do you believe that, church? Thank you for tuning in to today's message from God's Word. This podcast is a ministry of the Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. To find out how you can partner with this ministry or plan your visit to the Revival Tent, visit us online at globalvisionbc.com. There you can find links to all of the social medias. You can see what's happening on campus and learn everything you need to know about GVBC. We can't wait to see you there.